Welcome to this week's podcast. My guests on Facing the Canon are Paul and Fiona Jones, singers and performers. Paul Jones, Fiona Henley, welcome to Facing the Canon. Oh, thank you very thank much for you. having us. Thank you. Oh, we're delighted to have you. Delighted to have the opportunity to hear your journey of faith and your story. You grew up, is it Portsmouth? Yes. And you were a choir boy. I was at the cathedral and, uh, and I enjoyed it very much. We had a, a musical director at the school who was also the organist and choir director at the cathedral, and uh, he drafted me in there. Into that? Yes. Now, your dad was in the Navy. He was, indeed. So, away a lot. Yes, absent father. Yeah. What about you, Fiona? Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Surbiton in Surrey. And uh, so I say that because, uh, you know, there's been television programmes made about Surbiton, you know, funny. I think it's The Good Life or something, yes. isn't it? Anyway, uh, yeah, that's where I, I was that's... born in Kingston Hospital. And um, yeah, that's where I grew up. Now, your mother, mm -hmm. while cleaning, discovered some letters yes. that your father had corresponded with another woman. Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was a bit of a shock for my lovely, lovely mum. As I was playing with my toys as a little tiny one, she was sort of just plumping the cushions and then pulled down some letters. And, and yes, my father was obviously seeing somebody else and that was a terrible, terrible blow for my mother. And she obviously was, she was just devastated, broken-hearted, had a little baby girl and thought she was, you know, happily married. And your, your father left? Yeah. Yeah, he was a wonderful man. I, you know, he was just too um, young, really, I think, to be married and be a daddy. He wasn't ready for that. He was a very, very charismatic, funny man, lovely man. But he, he was in the wrong place, he thought, and off he went. And there, Mum and I were on our own. She was wonderful, though. She worked all hours to try and make ends meet for us. And, um, yeah, she was a wonderful mother. Mm. And then you moved, uh, Paul, from... Portsmouth to Edinburgh. Yes, that was, uh, I, I got in bad odour at school and uh, <laughs> my father was, where was he? He was stationed in Malta at the time. And he came home and uh, his next posting was um, at the, well, the, the Firth of Forth outside Edinburgh. And uh, he thought it would be a jolly good idea if I left Portsmouth and went up to Scotland as well. So I went to, I went to the Edinburgh Academy, which is a very good school, and uh, enjoyed it enormously. So that, that was good for you educationally? Yes, uh, and good for me in every way, actually. Yeah. Um, but um, <clears throat> I think there was more respect and at the same time more closeness. Now, what about for you, Fiona? Um, you, you and your mother interacted with mediums and spiritualists mm. what, what prompted that well my my lovely mom she was just wanting to know what to do with life and she was just unhappy she you know her first marriage had gone very badly and now here she is wanting to know what on earth she's going to do with her life she did remarry and that wasn't a happy marriage at that time and i, I remember mom saying to me one day she came to me she said you know i think that there's a spiritual answer to all the problems that human beings go through. 
So I'm going to try and find out what that spiritual answer is. The thing is, we know it's the Lord, but my mother started meeting up with friends who were mediums. Now, the funny thing is, my dear mum, as a little girl, had grown up in Wales and she'd gone to chapel. You know, the whole fact, my grandfather was a, a lay read, reader. And, and so my mother had some knowledge of church and she said, you know, she had experienced God, she felt, but she'd just gone away. My, my father, who she was now divorced from, um, you know, he was not a believer. So I think my mother was confused. So she started going. Now, I didn't like it. I did not enjoy it. I found it very, very spooky as a child. Yes. You know, because, you know, mum would have people come over and they would sit in a circle and, and talk and, and things. My mother became a Christian years later yeah. and she's now in heaven. So she's in glory sure. now. And that's wonderful. But she was just, she was just hungry and she was just looking and she was searching. And I think a lot of people going through very hard times, they're wanting someone to tell them the future is going to be wonderful. And that's why she got involved with that. And I yes. did too. And it, and it is the dark side. It is. And it actually is forbidden yeah. uh, in the Bible. Yes. Um, and that means, you know, no good can come no. from engaging in that. No, absolutely not. That That's exactly right. And I think as a as a little girl, I was ready. I would have been ready to receive the Lord if only I'd known. I remember yes. one time um, going to school, you know, and we used to have RE lessons and things like that. And of course, you know, it wasn't always wholly exciting. Those lessons were <laughs> could be a little bit dry, uh, but I didn't know the difference. But one day, our dear RE teacher brought in these two young guys and uh, they came and played their guitars. And at the end of them playing some gospel songs, they said, who believes in God in this class? Well, my hand shot up. I did believe. I just didn't know who God was, where he was, why he was, anything about him. And uh, a few hands went up after my hand went up. But when the bell rang and everybody ran out to go to the next class, I went forward and just sort of stood in front of these two guys. I, I'm just trying to think how old I must have been, maybe, I don't know, nine or ten or something. And I just stood there. And they said, oh, hello. And I said, hello. I just stood there. And they said, um, do you go to church? And I went, no. They said, would you like to go to church? I went, yes. And <laughs> so they wrote down the name of their church, which was in Kingston, not far from where I lived. And they said, why don't you come on Sunday? So I went bounding home. And I said to my mother, there's these two guys and they were wonderful and they came to our, you know, our class and they want me to go to their church on Sunday. And my mother was worried, worried, worried in case it was some weird yes. thing. And yet she was involved in very weird things. But I, I went on and on and on. And that Sunday, my dear mum and my stepdad and my little brother drove me there, dropped me off. They went for a coffee while I went to the service because I'd just gone on about it so much. And I loved it. I loved it. They played tambourines. People were waving their hands in the air. They were singing, rejoicing uh, at their love for the Lord. And for me as a child, I, I just thought it was wonderful. And uh, I remember after the worship, the minister said, anyone want to give a testimony about how good God is? And people were getting up and saying, oh, yes, this week he did this and he did that for me. Well, I came out of that service and I remember getting in the car and I said, Mom, we've got to go. It, it's going to be the answer because I knew there was such unhappiness sure. in our home. But do you know, I never was allowed because they 
they thought it might be dodgy. Yeah. But that was a hunger that was there. Yes, yeah, so that hunger was obvious and real. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Paul, from Edinburgh, you go to Oxford University. You study English. Yes, briefly. Briefly, but you also had very uh, a number of other hobbies while you were there, <laughs> music being one. Well, m music was all along. I mean, even before I got into the choir in Portsmouth, I, my, we had a very musical family. My mother played the piano, my father played the violin, and my brother and I had to sing, <laughs> no, no escape. And so it, uh, music was always there. And in, in the meantime, uh, Rock Island Line by Lonnie Donegan had happened, and that affected an entire generation, me included. Um, and so, really, I, I was kind of eyeing a career in music, even while I was theoretically supposed to be studying at Oxford. At Oxford. And, and obviously the studies were not a priority, and you ended up dropping out. <laughs> Yes. Or, or should we say, were you forced out? No, well, I never found out. I mean, I, you, you could only have known by sort of looking up, looking up to see if you had been, whatever that word is, but anyway, yeah, expelled. Made, made the grade or didn't yeah, make the grade. But anyway, I, I didn't even bother. No. Uh, as far as I was concerned, I knew what I was going to do. But then you joined um, a dance band. Well, yes. Uh, um, uh, prior to that, I had been sort of experimenting with a, a, a little university band, which actually was really rather good. But I mean, so, some of the people had very different sort of musical backgrounds from each other. But somehow when it came together and I wanted to play the blues because that was what I loved, um, it, it seemed to work. However, um, different things happen. People get married and music suddenly drops out of their life and things like that. And so the ba that band fell to bits. And I was, you know, going and listening to whatever bands were playing in the clubs and pubs and uh, enjoying it very, very much. And uh, one of the people that I ran into at that time was Brian Jones, who started the Rolling Stones. In fact, before he started the Rolling Stones, he contacted me and said, I'm starting a band. Do you want to be my singer? And I said, well, no, actually, I, um, I've, I've already got something else. I had, I had auditioned. Um, there was an audition in the Melody Maker, the back pages of the Melody Maker, uh, for a singer with a band. And, and um, it turned out to be a dance band. And I turned down what... So you turned down the Rolling Stones? Well, no, I turned down a band that <laughs> Brian Jones was forming. It, Called it, the Rolling Stones. It Stone. never would have been for the Rolling Stones if I had joined it. But It, but, so, it could have been bigger. <laughs> uh, no. no. Um, but but I, uh, I thought this, you know, I'd, I'd got this job with this dance band and, and I was actually earning some money from that, whereas Brian was not actually offering me no, any money at no. all from the band he was forming. So, um, and, and actually to this day, I don't regret that one bit. No. I don't regret it because I don't think I would have fitted into the Rolling Stones no. as it became. I and secondly, I, I learned a lot from working with those musicians. They were very good musicians. They were all sight readers. They knew exactly what they were doing. They're, they're, they could go anywhere with their instruments. And I learned 
tremendous amounts from them. So I was very happy. Now for you, Fiona, you're, you're 19, mm. um, you go for an open audition. I do. And you sing an interesting song. I do. What song did you sing at your audition? Well, I sung a song called I Don't Know How to Love Him, which people might recognise from Jesus Christ Superstar. And I sang that song because my auntie took me to see Jesus Christ Superstar for my 12th birthday. And I mean, I was beyond excited. I mean, it was West End Theatre. We had seats in the second row, right in the middle. And I mean, I was just, you know, the orchestra was tuning up and it was very exciting. Anyway, it started, the curtain went back and these fantastic, absolutely brilliantly talented singers came on, actors came on, portraying the scenes when Jesus walked on this earth. And I mean, I know that Jesus Christ Superstar is not exactly based on the Bible, but do you know something amazing? I don't know how this happens, but every time I share this, people come up to me and say, I had the same experience. I was very touched. Many people were. Many people came to the Lord through that show, even though it wasn't, you know, biblically perfect. And I remember sitting there and on came Jesus looking like it, I thought he should look, all dressed in white, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. Of course, he didn't look like that at all. Of course. Of course not. But, but I just fell in love with this being that loved everyone. The scenes that they did where he was helping people. I remember there was this scene where lots of sick people were coming to Jesus. Uh, you know, people saying, I, I can't see. See my eyes, I can hardly see. See me stand, I can hardly walk. I believe you can make me hold. See my tongue, I can hardly talk. And they were singing all these... And Jesus was laying his hands on each one of them and they were being healed. And they were jumping up and going, I can see, I can walk, look, look, I can speak. And, and they were so, and, and I mean, as a 12 year old, I just loved this love walking around. You know, the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good, yes. healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And that really is true. Even this was a show I know but that's in the Bible. And I just wanted to run up and grab hold of Jesus and put my arms around him and just not let go. I mean, it was that amazing. And you can just imagine when they came to the crucifixion scene. And I, I had no idea. Why was Jesus hanging on this cross? I was hysterical. My auntie was trying to console me. I was sobbing and sobbing and, and saying, Because you didn't Why? know. No. You'd never heard. I'd never heard. I didn't know. And I, you know, I've often thought if somebody had come out from the wings at that point while Jesus was hanging on the cross and said, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became our sin on that cross so that we could become right in the sight of God. I tell you, that little girl would have fallen on her knees and given her heart to Jesus Christ. Amazing. Right so the at that point. first time you heard about the death of Jesus yes. was in a theatre. Yes. Jesus Christ Superstar. I had no idea what it, you know, no, but, but I left confused because no one did come out and explain why he went it. to the cross. But Mary Madeline's song, I Don't Know How to Love Him, I saw, because I was only a child, I saw that in a very pure way, that song. I mean, I know that it was written with other things, but I was a child. So I was thinking, how do I love him? You know, this being. 
Yeah. And so I used that for my audition. And so, so you obviously yeah. wanted, I mean, you had a like yeah. an experience when you were nine yeah. uh, in your classroom and then yeah. you went to that church. Yeah. You have another, yes. almost like a spiritual encounter yeah, little, when you're 12, yes. but you still don't quite I know. I don't know because I've never heard the gospel told to me. And this is the thing. Lots of people have these little encounters and the Lord is doing that, but they never hear the gospel clearly spoken. That's why it's so important that we go out and tell. So was it a song that um, from the age of 12 to the age of 19 was of a song that you had sung? Oh, I just loved it. I you got, learned I, it. Yes, I got the album. I knew all the songs. I could sing it right through. I probably can do the whole of Gethsemane for you right now with wow. Jesus. I'm not going to do it, I promise. No. <laughs> oh. But I just loved that song. And so for this audition, the show was Elvis. It was going to. It was the life story of Elvis Presley yes. at the Astoria Theatre. That was my audition I was going for. And I, I arrived for this open audition. Tons of girls were you know, outside the stage door. And this was my first West End audition. And they were all dressed up, these girls. You know, they were sparkling. They had silver shoes, fishnet tights, you know, eyelashes, the whole thing. And I was, I think I was in sort of jeans and a jumper or something and standing on the end, very nervous. And finally, they go and I get put on the side of the stage. Someone calls me, you know, and then I hear my name announced. Fiona Hendley, you know. So I walk on this great big stage and someone gives me a microphone. I mean, I had no spit whatsoever in my mouth. I mean, I was so dry. dry. You know, when you're really, really nervous and you can't get any. Anyway, somehow I sang that song, I Don't Know How to Love Him, because it meant so much to me. I just sang it with all my heart. And, you know, I was hitting notes I don't normally hit. And it was just doing the thing that it needed to do. And, And the musical director came running to the front of the stage at the end of it. And he said, Fiona. I said, yes, you know, he said, that was amazing. He said, would you like the part? And so on the spot, that was my first West End show that wow. I got. And and Tracy Ullman was the swing girl in that show. I don't know if you know <laughs> yes, who I mean. Do you know, she taught me all the steps. She oh. was the choreographer's assistant and the swing girl. So we became friends and, um, and, and I was up and running in that show. Amazing. Yeah. Can you sing us just a few lines? What of? Jesus Christ? Um, I don't know how to love him. Yes. Oh, all right. I don't know how to love him. What to do? How to move him? I've been changed. Yes, really changed. In these past few days, when I've seen myself, I seem like someone else. And I love that. I love that, that she was so changed that when she saw herself, she, Mary Madeline, she had seven demons in her. But when she met Jesus, he cast those filthy demons out of her. She was, she was, and we are. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Fiona, that was very moving. Mm. Mm. Paul, what about, right, I'm moving still moved. on. I've heard I, it loads of times. Well, I was just moved just then. <laughs> so, Paul, back to you. So, Manfred Mann, how did that come about? Manfred Mann? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how did it come about? Uh, well, yes, I had a phone call from somebody who uh, 
called everybody man. You know, it was the thing in those days. All right, man? <laughs> and, I, and he said, did I know who Manfred Mann was? And I said, you mean the guy that writes a column in Jazz News? There was a sort of very cheap uh, broadsheet called Jazz News. It wasn't a posh magazine at all. No. But, uh, and yeah, he used to write a, a column every other issue, I think, on sort of aspects of playing music. And I said, well, jazz, actually. And I said, yes, if it's him, I know who you mean. And this guy said, well, he and a colleague of his called Mike Hug are forming a band and they, they need a shelter. That's a sort of jazzer's expression, meaning somebody who can stand in front of a loud band and be heard. So I said, uh, well, I'm a singer, actually. Uh, so he said, well, would you audition? So I said, yes, okay. And I went along and there was no one else at the audition. It was just me. <laughs> so I got the job. There were six of them in the band at the time. And apparently, they told me later, two of them liked me, two of them did not like me. And the other two thought I would do until they could find somebody. <laughs> so I just scraped in. But the band did very well. Yes, it did. Really well. And uh, some big hits. Um, one in particular. <laughs> well, what? Yeah. You mean the silly little song? Yeah, go on. <laughs> that's how, that's how, what Luis Palau used to call oh, it. Yes, si that little song. How did... What's the song called? It's... Well, <laughs> the Manfred Mann version is apparently called Do Wa Diddy Diddy. Yes. The original version, which was by the Exciters, was called Do Wa Diddy. I don't know where it acquired the, the, the second Diddy, but it makes it seem all the, all the more Diddy than it was before. If and you and who mean. came up with those lyrics? Um, a lady called Ellie Greenwich. Um, she and her husband, her then husband, uh, Jeff Barry, wrote some wonderful songs, including River Deep Mountain High yeah. for Ike and Tina Turner, well, Tina Turner. Yes. And uh, oh, lots and lots of other you know, successful songs in those uh, days of the early 60s, really. Uh, and um, they, they were part of the Brill Building or 1650 Broadway, two important places where popular song was being created at the time. And I heard the Exciter's version of that song on probably Radio Luxembourg, because that was the most likely place to be hearing what was going on in America. And I thought, that's a, that's a big record. I'm, I'm going to get that record. And I, 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 you, you know, you couldn't even go into a shop and buy things like that. There was one particular shop in Soho that I used to go to and order records. And then you could order them um, and then you would have to wait for a week or two to get them. But at least you did get them. And I got it and I brought it to the rest of the group and I said, I think this is a hit, a potential hit. And we did our version of it. And um, <laughs> it went ballistic. Yes. It, go on. Um, can you give us a 
Fiona's done her little song. <laughs> it's your turn, Paul. Go on, give us a little... There she was, just walking down the street, singing do wa dee dum dee do Popping her fingers and shuffling her feet. That's me shaking those maracas, dum dee do she looked good, looked good, she looked fine, looked fine, looked good, she looked fine, and I nearly lost my mind. But fortunately, I didn't. You didn't. <laughs> and that's why I can be here talking Absolutely. to Diana Absolutely, right definitely. So, Fiona, what happened then after uh, you, you had that audition, you got the part? How long did that last for? Uh, the part, yes. well, uh, probably it lasted around about a year and then um, another 60s show went into that theatre and I was given a part in that. And then that turned into a Channel 3 60s um, kind of series. The Widows. No, actually. That the, was... That, that came next. Widows came next. Yes, Widows was after that. Yeah. And that was uh, that. That was that was ridiculous. It was amazing. I by now I'd got an agent, which was wonderful, and I'd got to the Royal National Theatre, which was amazing. Because I remember phoning up my agent and saying, "You know, um, have you got any auditions?" And and I'd like to go to the National Theatre or the Royal Shakespeare Company. And she said, "Don't be silly, darling." She said, "You who are you? You don't, you're nobody, and and you can't go there unless you've done wonderful things." And I said, "Oh, okay. Well, if any audition ever comes up." And all of a sudden, she called me and she said, "Darling, um, the National Theatre are going to be doing Guys and Dolls a musical, and they want to see you for because it was music, and I, you know, I could actually get an audition." So I went along and auditioned for that. Richard Eyre very wonderfully and kindly uh, gave me a job in that, uh, along with people like Imelda Staunton, which uh, just wonderful people. And it was a great show. Guys and Dolls was a great show. And didn't you have one of the leads? Well, not at the, no, to start with, I was a hotbox girl. Uh, and so was Imelda. So that, <laughs> I say that because she's so marvellous. But it was when I was there doing, being a hotbox girl, that um, I got a call to be seen for Widows. And, uh, and um, the casting director said, look, can you go and be a Cockney? Because they, they won't even see you if you're not a genuine Cockney. I said, well, I'm not a genuine Cockney, so I can't really go. And she said, well, just pretend, you know. So unfortunately I did, and I lied my way through the whole thing. Got into that, which was marvellous. And then what happened was, Yes, you're right. Um, the, the the woman who was playing Sarah Brown in Guys and Dolls, she left. That was uh, Julie Covington. And then a, a lady called Belinda Sinclair took over from her and, and, and they both had left. So they were looking for a leading lady. And amazingly, Richard Eyre auditioned me along with other people too. And uh, But he thought, no, we'll try try this girl. And this very extraordinarily handsome man came in to play Sky Masterson. You can just imagine how Paul looked. Sky Masterson, pale blue suit, sky blue suit, black shirt, white tie, fedora hat, two-tone shoes. You know, he just looked the part. And I was in a Salvation Army outfit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a wonderful love story, that show. Absolutely. The, the, the two of you, uh, you've had huge success. Uh, huge influence um, uh, in music, in singing, in theatre, in film. And um, you're totally focused 
on Jesus. And um, I've known you both for a, a number of years and you just exude the grace of Jesus. And I'm looking forward to having you both back to tell us the next part of the journey and the next part of your encounter with Jesus. Paul, Fiona, thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank, thank you, you John. Thank you so much, thank you. Wow, wasn't that great? Hugely uh, inspiring. Uh, I am really inspired by Paul and by Fiona. I'm looking forward to part two of their story and their encounter with Jesus. So please join us again next week with Fiona and Paul. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media.